0: Love Talk Radio. All right, folks, we are having uh, difficulties with right now, so just tune in. Just give us one moment. We're in touch with blog talk radio now. All right, folks, we are now in. Thank you for being with us today. We are waiting for our co-host, Mr. J. Logan, as you know. We have, uh, we're waiting for him to come in shortly, and we look forward to him uh, being a part of today. We are really excited. We apologize for all the technical breakdowns today, not to mention I left my phone at one of the restaurants yesterday. So, you know, this is a part of our show, and, you know, we never – Are inauthentic here. So we're really, really, really excited. Um, So we have an amazing guest today. Her name is Sophie Robinson, and both Jay Logan and I will be interviewing her today. We're just waiting for Jay to come on. Uh, We hope he's okay and nothing has happened to him. And um, so while we wait for Jay, we just wanted to let you know a few things. One of those things is, that we are going to be releasing several uh, projects. One that we'll be sharing with you about the UN. Another one that we will be doing from Portugal. Another one we'll be doing from Switzerland. You know, so we'll let you know about those things later in the day. But without further ado, we are going to be bringing on Miss Sophie Robinson.
1: Sophie, Hi, how are yeah. you? Thank you. I'm great. How thanks. are you? How are we you? Are
0: Okay, well, we've had a few breakdowns, as you heard, between the music and, you know, the, the blog <laughs> talk radio and my phone missing, but we're certainly glad to have you, and we're just waiting for Mr. J. Logan, who is our co-host from the great San Francisco area, okay? And okay. And so we're just going to get right, we're going to get right into it, if that's okay with you. Uh, Sounds uh, great. About the work that, about the work you're doing, and, you know, just uh, really, finding out a little bit more about you if that's okay with you sure all right and we just asked sophie that you would tailor your answers okay to the questions that we asked that we don't give all the good stuff away too quickly is that okay with you sure okay so sophie you are a filmmaker would you let the audience know how you were able to get your start as a filmmaker and share that with us you know from the start to the beginning, from the beginning, I'm sorry, to the end.
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, So I started as a grassroots climate change organizer in Boston. I coordinated the group 350 Massachusetts for two years. And as an organizer, I really saw the power of filmmaking. Uh, It was just so clear that once folks saw film and um, they were just so much more excited to get involved and engaged in the work that we were doing. So after seeing that impact, I thought that I wanted to switch my career to do filmmaking instead of doing organizing as I was doing. So there are a couple of films that came out that were really influential in the organizing world. One was Do the Math in 2012, and one was Disruption in 2014, which was for the lead up to the People's Climate March. So I I really wanted to work with the company that had done those films because they were so beautifully done and so influential in the space. So um, I just connected to them through 350, um, and then I had a meeting with them, um, and we decided to to work together. And um, I have a background in in fundraising, and so I could bring, um, you know, so I could bring some funds to the table as well through some connections. So that all kind of worked together, and and they were excited to to do a film me, so um, we worked together and came up with a concept for the film. Wow. So, I mean,
0: did you ever think when you were a little girl that you would actually be doing filmmaking? Did you think you'd be doing that?
1: (laughs) No, I didn't. Um, I've always been really interested in climate change work, and um, I thought I was gonna be a high school climate change science teacher for a long time actually. So that was kind of the vision I had for myself and this kind of just happened and, and fell in my lap. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, speaking
0: of speaking of that and speaking of the work that you're doing, you know, let's kinda of let's get on the subject of climate. You've done a film here called The Age of Consequences. Mm-hmm. What what don't we know about climate that everyone is ignoring, Sophie? Today, what don't we know before we really get into the film? What is
2: it? What is it that we don't know?
1: Sure. So, the film explores how climate change impacts national security and global stability through the perspective of the U.S. military. So, what I didn't know before getting involved with this film project is that our military takes climate change very seriously, Um, and that was kind of eye-opening to me. I didn't really understand how our military thought about climate change before doing this film, but the way the Pentagon describes climate change is as a threat multiplier or catalyst to conflict, and what that means is when there are already situations around the world that are unstable from political, religious, economic tensions, um, then you add on the burden of climate change, so whether there's drought, there's sea level rise, there's extreme weather that either um, changes how people are going to get their food and their water, or people leave and a, a massive migration because they don't have enough food and water. Especially if they're farming families, then they, if they don't have um, enough land to farm, it's the, if there's a huge drought, then they'll have to move. So those tensions from either massive migration from a lack of food and water, or from just people not having it to begin with then you can see those underlying tensions um, come, come up to light a lot more because people are more willing to um, take up arms or to fight for what was already difficult when they can't feed their family anymore. So we've seen that a couple of times in recent history, actually, in the Arab Spring and the Syrian Civil War. Um, and climate change also played a part in the refugee crisis that's really been destabilizing a lot of Europe and um, parts of the Middle East. So that's kind of what the film explores, It's kind of, you know, how how is climate change um, influencing and interacting with pre-existing political tensions that can be the catalyst to conflict?
0: Here's my next question. You know, we're talking about other countries, right? But then we have the United States here, okay? Now, mm-hmm. this show goes out all over the world that we do here. But my question is, What Just, you know, before we really get into the film, what do you think it would look like if it were to happen here? You know, if climate change effectively had those effects on us here in the United States, what do you think, you know, from being a part of this film, exploring it, working in climate, having the background in climate, you also have a background in psychology, I know. Can you explain Mm -hmm. some of that to us?
1: Sure. Well, we already have been seeing impacts here at home. Um, we talk about that in the film a little bit. We've seen um, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy. Those super storms are going to be more frequent with climate change. It's hard to say exactly, you know, to what extent a certain storm was created or caused by climate change. Um, although the modeling on that is getting a little bit better. So scientists are able to determine to what degree climate change influenced a storm a little bit better, um, But those will happen more and more frequently as time goes on and as climate change gets worse. We're also seeing sea level rise around the country. Parts of, you know, Florida are in danger. Um, Norfolk, Virginia, where our largest naval base in the world is based, is in danger from sea level rise and um, the rising tides. So these ships come in, you know, huge, huge, huge ships um, that kind of cruise around the world and they're the basis for our, our Navy. Um, the piers on which they get serviced, and when they come into dock, are inundated by floods and tides. Um, so, we're a danger then of our military not being able to be ready um, to, to send our ships out, or it'll affect preparedness, um, and that will really impact like, how our military is able to operate. So that we're already seeing those impacts. We're also already seeing extreme droughts and wildfires in California. Anyone who lives um, in that area here is aware that water is quite scarce. And um, in, you know, in the south, some of these impacts, and those will continue to be exacerbated as time goes on. I think the difference with the U.S. compared to other countries in the world is that um, for the most part, compared to other governments, our government, uh, does care about the well-being of our people um, overall and that, you know, we do have the resources available to deal with a lot of these things, uh, to deal with um, the consequences of our act- of sea level rise or of extreme storms. We're able to provide support. Um, that's not necessarily true in other parts of the world, and so that's why we start to see conflict situations. Um, I think that we could also see that in the U.S., and um, especially if some of these disasters start to happen at the same time, you know, what if there are three Katrinas that happen at the same time? We don't really have the resources to deal with that, um, and so that's, that's a scary possibility for our country, and I think we need to be really mindful of what we're finding ourselves up for and how we're trying to prepare for it.
0: Wow, wow, wow. You know, one of the things, you know, even one of the things is I know a lot of people are scared, but I'm actually left through your film encouraged, okay? Mm. Very encouraged because having your film shows us there are solutions that we can deal with now, you know what I mean? if we yeah. really come together and have an understanding. One of the things I'd like to ask you is why do you think everyday people, okay, well no, before we go to that one, I'd like to know how does climate, and I know you shared some things so far, but really so that our audience can really zero in on the, the, how the connection is to this. How does climate play a part in war, poverty, and hunger?
1: Um, so as I was saying earlier, it's kind of an interaction kind of deal where climate change fundamentally is going to change the way water is um, spread out through the, through the world. And it's going to change water patterns. It's going to change, um, you know, the, the storms, it's going to change rainfall patterns over time. Um, it'll change sea level rise. So those all have pretty immediate impacts on farming and on food production and on water itself. Um, and if you think about the basic resources that humans need to survive, it's, it's food and water. So climate change is, is changing that. It's changing the map in which we're used to farming. Um, the land is going to be maybe drier in some areas. There's not going to be as much rainfall in some areas. And then in other areas, there will be extreme weather events. will be way more rain than they're used to. So that's going to impact you know, fundamentally how we get food in some parts of the world. Um, And if you're not able to feed your family because you can't get food anymore, you can't get water, then you're going to look for help. You're going to try and figure out a way to get food and water. And if you're in a country where there are a lot of people trying to do that all at once and the government isn't able or willing to provide for its people, that can cause conflict. So it's never quite as if climate change, then conflict. It's always a combination of, of of different factors that sometimes can result in conflict. And um, if people don't have food and water, they will be willing to fight for their lives.
0: All I can say is, well, wow, you know, um, yeah, I, I mean, I can see it played out. And the reason why I asked you to say that in a different way is because I want people to really get the understanding but also the importance of what this means, okay? Many people don't really understand how this really plays out, to be quite frank with you, Sophie, mm-hmm. you know? And we, we yeah. want them to really, because we go, you know, if you think about it, there is poverty right here at our our doorstep, okay? Mm-hmm. And we have poverty, and yet we, we don't even, we think it's, oh, you know, I'm in my home, and the homeless person's just outside, so that will never be me. You know what I mean? And we don't realize that sometimes it's not about the wealth level that will stop us, that will have us go into poverty. It could be something like climate, you know what I mean, right here in the United right. States. And, and yeah. I think it's important that we don't take that for granted. So I'm going to bring on um, our co-host, Jay Logan, uh, and then we're going to move on if that's okay with you. Hi, Jay. How are you? We're glad to have you. We have Sophie Robinson, our great filmmaker here, really getting into climate with us. Sophie, please meet our co-host, Jay Logan.
2: Hi, Sophie. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm
2: fine. I had some traffic problems this morning, but I'm glad that you're on our show. It's so wonderful, and um, we have climate problems here, too, in San Francisco, so starting to rain. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, Jay, we were getting right
0: into the next question, which is, you know, she has just shared with our audience about war, poverty, and hunger. You know, I have—I'm going to sneak a question in here, uh, Sophia. That's okay. Jay sure. has the next question, but I have—I have to ask you this. You know, okay. hunger—the specifics in your movie with hunger. Okay. Mhm. Hunger, you know, climate when it causes droughts. Okay when it causes, you know, dry land, parch land, you know, uh, fires in our forests, okay? People are facing this a lot in other parts of the world, okay? Yes. We think it's just – let's forget the poverty part of it, but how people are displaced and have to move from to city to city, okay? What is the effects of that on those people who are migrating from city to city and not able to find hunger? Now, we won't even go into the war part, but just the effects on them psychologically.
1: Oh, it's, it's catastrophic. I mean, that's, it's so just incredibly, incredibly devastating. I had to watch a lot of footage of folks on the move for the film to get the right footage. Um, and it is just so heartbreaking to see families risking everything, risking lives, risking their their children's lives, you know, to get across um, a channel to try and survive. I mean, people, you know, if, if you're, you're trying to survive, you'll risk everything to continue to survive. And sometimes, I mean, putting your life at danger. And it's just incredibly heartbreaking to see families, you know, putting, putting their, themselves at risk um, of drowning if they're crossing the ocean or parts of the ocean in little uh, buoys and little boats to get across. I mean, these, these people are desperate. They don't have food. They don't have water. Um, it's inhumane, honestly, that uh, we're, we're seeing the kind of response to refugees that we're seeing across the world, um, especially in the U.K. with Brexit and um, in the U.S. recently um, with our, our refugee ban. And it's, it's so heartbreaking, honestly, because, you know, at the end of the day, the folks who are looking for homes, they're, you know, they're just trying to survive just like everybody else. You know, every, they all have hopes and dreams. Um, A lot of them were, you know, had a stable job and had gone to college and and then lost everything because of war or because of a huge drought or, you know, for many, many reasons. So it's just completely devastating to, um, to watch videos. And I don't think that me talking about it as a privileged person myself will really convey that emotion. But I think I would encourage everyone to continue to read the news, to watch the film and to, you know, uh, donate to refugee programs um, because people need help and we're all humans and we need to find our common humanity.
2: Well, I know Jay has a question for you. Yes, yeah, Sophie, I was, I was wondering, why do you think everyday people are afraid of dealing with climate?
1: Mm. Great question. Um, I think the main reason is just because it's so overwhelming um, and that people don't really feel like they can make a difference. Um, I think it's a false sense of, you know, pe- people aren't stupid. And I think when companies or their commercials or PSAs that say, you know, like recycle and turn off your lights and that will solve climate change. We all know that that's not true. You know, Those actions are important to do um, no doubt, but they're, they're not going to solve our problem because we have a systemic problem with climate change. And our entire world, our entire entire society is based on fossil fuels. When I walk around in my daily life, I'm touching, you know, everything that I touch almost has been um, either produced by fossil fuels or is made with fossil fuels or I'm on the subway and that's being transport- I'm being transported by fossil fuels. So we're in a situation where the very foundation of our society right now has to change. Um you We can still have electricity, and those solutions are out there to transfer from a fossil fuel-based economy to a renewable economy. But let's be real about it. It's not going to be simple. It's not going to be an easy switch from the economy, from our daily life that's based on now, to renewables. And so I think for the average person, you know, that's really overwhelming because our individual actions do matter, but um, it's really a systemic problem that we need our government to take responsibility for and to say look we we need to provide the resources and we need the political will behind transferring from fossil fuels to renewables otherwise it's not going to make the kind of impact that we need it to because we need to change everything uh, as fast as we possibly can and don't that's what Because a lot of those sofia i think you're
0: going in and out. you're going yeah. in and out of that i'm sorry uh, we really we, we're you're breaking up i think you may need to actually dial in or we what we can do is dial you back it's actually going in and out can can you okay. hear us i'm sorry call okay Oh, Okay, thank you, you, and we'll wait for you to call back in. And, Jay, while we're waiting for her to call call back in, we can discuss a little bit of this ourselves, you know. Um, It's it's fascinating to know that we thought turning the lights out actually did help climate, didn't you?
2: Oh, yeah, I I thought that that would help a little, you know, if everybody did that, but – I guess we're still burning the, you know, still burning the coals and burning the, the pollutants, and so therefore we need a little bit more. So, um, wow, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just um, it, I think it's something that, like she was saying, that the governments of the world have to get together and and, and be a team on this because um, you can't do it alone. You know, I don't, I don't think we got to change our whole uh, source of uh, power basically, and that's going to be a hard thing to do. We. Like,
0: it really is, you know, and to not to mention that, you know, the fear, you know, when people are moving, when climate affects certain areas, when water, you know, uh, floods certain areas and people don't have access to food, you become desperate. You don't know what to do. I mean, she shared about Hurricane Katrina right here, Hurricane Sandy. You know, when people don't have the everyday experience, uh, access to the things that they're normally able to have access to. It's, you know, it's normal, you know, psychologically normal, you know. Um, But we do have Sophie back, and we're going to go on to the next question. So, Sophie, thank you for coming back with us. One of the things, Sophie, that I was going to ask you a question, but you kind of answered it already. So, Jay, I'm going to change my question up. I hope I don't take one of your questions. Um, You know, (laughs) one of the things, you know, let's have a little fun here with this. It's fun, but it's also knowledge. You know, Sophie, we're dealing with today, right now, um, there are cities, because they are islands, you know, countries that we know, the Maldives had this problem. You know, the Maldives had a problem where a part of their country was washed away inland by, you know, floods. If you remember Indonesia with the um, the tsunami some years ago, uh, right now, Oklahoma, which I didn't know. I spoke to a woman last night. She's had twenty earthquakes, and there's no uh, property insurance. So it's really yeah. interesting that we're dealing with this. You know, full, full feet ahead. Um, yeah. Jay and I were just Jay and I were just saying that we didn't know. We thought if everyone turned their lights off. I mean, maybe, and, and this is my ignorance because you hear this all the time. If we turn our lights off and conserve energy. That means that oh. If each one of us did that every day, maybe we would make it to 2025. But from what I'm hearing from you, these things are not true. So what specific and measurable yeah. can we, we as every human being do? I mean, really specific, that really will mm-hmm. make a difference in our everyday living.
1: Sure. Um, first, I just want to comment quickly on something you just mentioned, which is the earthquakes in Oklahoma. Those are actually not because of climate change but related. They were due to all of the fracking of natural gas in Oklahoma where companies are pulling out pressurized gas from uh, under the earth, and um, and then they're putting water, this contaminated water, back into the earth at really, really high pressure, um, and that's actually what's causing the earthquakes, not climate change, but it's from fracking for natural gas. Um, on to your question of what can people do. Um, so as I was saying, you know, the little things, they they do matter, you know. It's I don't I'm not advocating for everyone to buy SUVs and and ignore consumption because we really we really need everyone to be cautious of how much electricity and fossil fuels we're using. Um, flying on airplanes are are extremely um, carbon intensive, so as much as possible, reducing the amount that we fly on airplanes. Um, actually, meat consumption, especially red meat, is quite detrimental to um, the climate because cows produce a lot of methane, um, which is about 30 to 70 times more potent of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. So reducing the amount of red meat we eat and meat and dairy products in general, that's Mm. another thing you can do. Um, So yeah, reducing consumption, um, you know, not trying to travel less, Um, changing your diet can help a lot. And then I think the biggest thing is keeping in mind that this is a systemic problem and that we need our leaders to act. So more so than your personal habits, although I would highly encourage everyone to look at those, um, we need to put pressure on our politicians to act to make policy changes that will shift funding away from fossil fuels and shift it toward renewable energy so that folks can get access to renewable energy easier and so that those economies can start to take over the fossil fuel-based industries that we have in place today. So you can call your representatives, you can call your Congress members if you're in the United States. Those calls really matter. I've talked to politicians that say, that have said, you know, calling really matters because if they hear from 10 people from calls, they know that there's another thousand that do care about it that just didn't call. Um, and so them getting direct pressure from their constituents especially is incredibly important and I think we always, and I always tend to underestimate how much my voice matters to my representatives, but it matters a lot. And so I think we all need to take responsibility to put pressure on our politicians um, to, to act and to act on our behalf.
2: Very interesting. Um, Yeah. I think she answered this last question right there. So I want to kind of twist this question a little bit. So, Sophie, if you could start the world all over, what would be the perfect solution of powering our world? What would you start with? What kind of power uh, grid would you use?
1: What kind of power? Um, Well, so every two minutes, enough energy from the sun hits the earth to meet the entire world's energy demands for the year. So the sun is like the most powerful thing. And in fact, when we're burning fossil fuels, we actually are just using sunlight that's been, you know, so fossil fuels are actually dead plants and animals that have been um, buried underground and pressurized. And now we're extracting them millions of years later and using them. So that's actually just captured sunlight in another form. The sun is the most powerful um, source of energy that we know of and that we have access to on this planet. So, Solar, panel, um, solar panels, I would, I would build, like, a whole, you know, fleet of those and, um, and windmills as well. Um, so I think we, we really need to focus on renewable energy and reduce consumption and be smarter about how we're using energy. Um, between all of those things, I think we would be able to, to power the world the way, the, way, the way that we do now.
2: Wow.
0: Well you know my, my one of the questions uh, one of the last questions I had and then we'd open up for dialogue with you and and thank you for your time is that you know if you if you could tell all the youth right now okay all the youth right now the things that they can do besides using the voices to call their you know our our local representatives and partner with our governments to support this okay what would you tell the youth? What would you say to the youth, Sophie? You know, what can they do to support this? Not, not only just giving their, their voice, but what can they physically do? Because many youth are starting urban gardens and things like that. But what can youth really do to support one another worldwide?
1: It's, it's a good question, and I think um, – you know, the, the most important thing, again, is, is that we have the political will to shift from fossil fuels to renewables. So, um, I, you know, I haven't really thought a lot about specifically youth. You know, I'm, most of my work has involved kind of the population at large. Um, let me think about that. I mean, you know, changing the small mm-hmm. habits, like I was mentioning before, diet, um, travel, Um, planting gardens is, is amazing. And, um, but I think the other thing that we need to to keep in mind is that we need to build better community for each other and to be there for each other, because things are going to be difficult. And, um, you know, we need more people who are growing up in this world who care about each other, um, and who are aware of the issues at hand. So a lot of education, I would recommend young folks to really read up about what's happening in the world. And, um, and that they, and that to keep in mind that they can have an influence and a difference. I think it's really easy because there's so many things that are going wrong in this world, especially for a young person to feel overwhelmed and like they can't do anything. Um, but to start to research some of those things you can do, everything from individual small political um, actions to, you know, um, getting involved with a group that is already doing work to, to help. Um, you could uh, get involved with a group that is installing solar panels that would be cool. Um, There's so many, so many things, and I think uh, for young people especially to be aware of what's going on, but also to have the understanding and the, um, the will that they can do something about it and that uh, community, community really matters. So they should, you know, build community with folks that also care about these issues.
0: I have one last question. I know Jay has one last one for you as well, but this one really hit me, and I wanted to ask you earlier. You know, we have genetically modified foods, okay? Mm -hmm. And then we have organic foods, and then we have foods that are with pesticides, and we just have so many things across the table, okay? How does climate affect the everyday food source of our soil and what we grow in our soil and what our farmers grow and, and, um, you know, us having access to that and how does genetically modified food, you know, food that's grown, how does that affect it? How does climate? How does how does that piece come in together with climate? Or am I am I so off base here?
1: <laughs> no, I mean I think this is kind of what the basis of our our film is about, and why climate change can be a catalyst for conflict and something that our military is thinking about because climate change impacts food and water the most. Um, So if you're a farmer and you're used to rain coming maybe twice a week for the rainy season or three times a week for the rainy season and suddenly it doesn't come, maybe it comes every other week, maybe it comes every third week, um, that's a huge problem. Or if there's just the water reserves underground um, are being overused because there are droughts and then there's no more water, that's a huge problem. Um, In parts of Yemen, they only have access, in towns, they only have access to public water one day per month. So if you can think about that for a second, one day per month, how would you grow food with that? How would you feed your family? How would you wash dishes? How would you, you know, do anything? I use water all the time, and I don't even realize it um, because it's just always there, and we take it for granted. So when water is being impacted, that's, you know, we need water for food. And so if the soil is dry and there isn't rain coming, and there, you know, our water sources have been used up, well, then you probably can't farm anymore. And if you, if you farm for a living, then you're going to have to do something else for a living. And what would that be if your entire community is based on farming? So you'll have to move. Um, so that's kind of how climate change can influence farming um, drought. And then, you know, sometimes there are superstorms. So there, you know, there would be, extreme storms that could wipe out crops instead. You know, they're doing well, but then all of a sudden there's a humongous storm and it, it actually wipes out the crop and devastates it. Or um, climate change has also been changing patterns of pests. So maybe there are some bugs that do better and, you know, maybe they weren't um, gotten rid of over the winter because it wasn't cold enough. So they survived and, and pests have been changing and adapting to climate. And um, it's been a, there have been a lot of pests that have been able to take advantage of a different climate and world so maybe there will be more pests that eat the crops too there's so many different ways that in, can influence growing our food and uh, that's that's really scary because you know we all need to eat we all need to drink water um, those are just the basic fundamentals of being a human and if if that is shifting dramatically around the world which it is that's that's a huge security risk, both for individual families and then also for governments and regions as well. Um, In terms of GMOs versus organic, um, personally, it's always best to eat organic. The danger with GMOs is less so in the content of nutrition um, and more so in terms of we're wiping out biodiversity by focusing on GMOs. If we only have one crop and then one bug figures out how to adapt to eat that crop, then and we don't have any varieties any other natural varieties of that crop then we don't have food um and that's really dangerous so to me that's the biggest danger in gmos is that we're eliminating biodiversity that naturally exists Um, however there are some gmo crops that might be necessary to help us deal with climate change right there are some crops like rice that are more resistant to drought than others they will be able to survive without as much water or they'll be able to you know keep growing with less water or in tighter conditions those things will be beneficial and I think you know we need to be those need to be on the table as we're looking to feed a world of seven plus billion in 2017 as we go forward Um, those can't be off the table because you know, there are just so many people we have to, we have to feed them. So it's complicated. I don't have an easy answer. Um, I think, you know, we, we need to be taking these issues seriously, um, especially on the political level. And unfortunately, I don't think we are right now. I don't think we're being nearly as thoughtful and prepared as we need to be. Um, and that's where all of us come in. We need to demand that from our politicians and those who govern us.
0: Well, we thank you for your time. And I know Jay has one last question for you. And, um, We will be supporting your film because we think it's really important. Jay, I know you had one last question for her. Yes, I do.
2: Um, I would like you to maybe explain to our audience the potential of geothermal power and how it would help mitigate global warming. Sure.
1: So geothermal power is getting um, power from getting heat from the center of the earth. Um, If you drill down into um, the earth, it's actually warmer as you get further down. So geothermal uh, takes advantage of that. And there's some parts of the world that have stronger geothermal potential than others. Um, Iceland has a lot of geothermal, and uh, they're actually 100% of their electricity is renewable. So that's really cool, and it's largely due to geothermal. Um, you can do geothermal pretty much anywhere, but some parts are just more active and have more geysers and natural heat coming up than others. Um, so in areas that have the potential to really you know, crank out a lot of geothermal heat, I think we should take advantage of that and use that. Um, but it depends on the area. It doesn't always make sense. Uh, the systems are generally pretty costly to put in, especially just you know for a single home or something. It wouldn't be as cost-effective as putting up solar panels. Um, So, yeah, geothermal is great. I'm a huge advocate. I think any kind of renewable energy has to be on the table, and we have to use it as scale to the best of our ability and be smart about how we're using it. Um, And, you know, it's just part of the, uh, the mix of what we need to do for a renewable economy.
2: Wonderful.
0: Well, we, we truly thank you for your time. Again, um, the name of the film is The Age of Consequence, and you can see it in theaters. You can, and I believe that they can check it at the um, at your website. The Age of is that correct? dot com.
1: Yep, the Age of We're on Facebook and Twitter, um, so check us out, like us, and we also have a campaign um, that's called Clean Jobs for Vets and it's trying to help get more renewable energy jobs for veterans. So check that out online as well. Um, And thanks for your time and um, listening, and, and, you know, check out the film.
0: Well, one thing we'd like to know, can you tell people, I believe that you have the film showing in New York right now? Yeah, it's in uh, New York City in
1: theaters until tomorrow evening, um, Thursday, Thursday. February second at 9 p.m. is the last screening. It's screening five times per day at Cinema Village in Union Square. After that, it'll be in theaters around the country, and it'll be around the world, also in private screenings. So you can request a private screening from us on our website, um, and you can also see where it's being played around the world on our website. So it's again the theageofconsequences.com.
0: Well, one thing before you go, would you tell, or would you share with people? on the places that you've received numerous, you know, Sophie, you're being very, very, we love your humility and your humbleness, but your film has been written up quite a lot around the world, hasn't it?
1: It has been, yeah. It's been um, a lot of media attention, a lot of press, which has been awesome. It's also been screened at some really high-level places like um, the Planetary Security Conference in The Hague. It's kind of been embraced by the security community because it's showing, really showing the impact of what they're talking about anyways, you know, our security community and the world are there like it's climate change is a big topic of conversation. So this kind of just brings that topic to light and really shows um, the security threats that we're facing, but also through the lens of, you know, humanity, that these aren't just numbers, that these are actual people that we're seeing. Um, yeah it's been screened um to nato it's a uk parliament in um in the uk it's been in berlin brussels it's been in um, the australian defense force loves the film um it's going to be screened in croatia and south africa and all over europe coming up this year um so yeah it's really it's really getting around and and we're so excited to be part of you know something bigger than ourselves
0: Well, that's great, and we thank you, and we will do whatever we can to support you in the film and your campaign for vets. Have an amazing day, and, Jay, as usual, we thank you both for being on Listen, Give, Savoy Radio. We look forward to seeing you next week, and, again, Sophie, we are so proud of the work you're doing and so proud of you. Thank you. Have a great day.
1: Thank you so much, Gail. You as well. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) mm <laughs> you
0: Thank you, everyone, and have a great day.